I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. According to members of this audience, those are your favorite words. I was wrong. You love hearing the tales of my wrongness, particularly when they come from me, when I talk about being wrong. So let's talk about me being wrong. Earlier this offseason, I was wrong about Jordy Nelson. We had Jordy Nelson ranked outside the top 10, and the justification for that ranking was light on the quantitative analysis. I'm not saying it was baseless, but it lacked sound analytical underpinning. Because Jordy Nelson was number two in the NFL in fantasy points per game last year among wide receivers. So I'm projecting him to precipitously decline in 2017? Going from a top two wide receiver to outside the top 10, how is that possible? Well, I don't actually think it's possible any longer. I thought it was possible. I said, oh, he's turned 32, 32, 32. Look at the age-adjusted productivity curve. Yes, we have all the age-adjusted productivity curves available on the Dynasty Dominator. Check it out. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides and download the Dynasty Dominator book. In there, we lay out the age-adjusted production curves for quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. And you can see a significant negative slope in the curve from age 31 to age 32. Generally speaking, 32-year-old wide receivers produce less fantasy points than 31-year-old wide receivers. You'll find less wide receivers in the top 24 that are age 32 than 31. That's what that means. But just because a macro trend exists doesn't mean that you have to automatically apply every player. Doesn't mean that every player deserves to be discounted according to the slope of that curve. It simply doesn't. We've talked about it on this show, being discerning about how players age. That's why we have Antonio Brown in our top three dynasty wide receivers, even though Antonio Brown is well past the age apex on that age-adjusted production curve I talked about. And we also talk about the fact that I'm not a doctor on this show. I don't have access to Jordy Nelson's x-rays, MRI results and his off-season work habits. I don't have access to any of this information. It's just speculation at this point that Jordy Nelson would experience a decline in 2017. So upon self-scrutiny, I decided I need to examine this more. I assumed last season that Jordy Nelson was not able to separate after the torn ACL most wide receivers that suffer a major lower leg injury in their 30s have a more difficult time healing, rehabilitating, and getting back to 100% capability. And I assumed that Jordy Nelson was never able to regain the burst and explosion and quickness post-ACL surgery. I just assumed that to be the case. Watching Jordy Nelson play when he was targeted, I didn't think I saw a lot of separation. The eye test. And guess what? The eye test in this case was the lie test. Because you go back and you look at the yards of separation at target numbers from last season, and Jordy Nelson was top five in the NFL. And it makes sense that early in the season, his target separation was lower. And then as the season progressed, and as his knee progressed, got stronger, he got more confident on it, more flexibility. Guess what? The target separation increased. Jordy Nelson was at the top of the league in target separation in the second half of last season. I did not know that. I made a bad assumption, which I then scrutinized and corrected. I also looked back at historical comps. Who's Jordy Nelson's? Who is one of Jordy Nelson's best comparable players? Larry Fitzgerald. 
Well, how did Larry Fitzgerald do in his age 32 season? 109 receptions for 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. That was Larry Fitzgerald in his age 32 season, just two years ago. But the age 32 season I was looking at most notably was the Brandon Marshall age 32 season last year when he suffered numerous lower body injuries. So he was hampered by injury and some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL. Worst quarterback play in the NFL last year, the Rams and the Jets. Easily. Case Keenum and Jared Goff. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Bryce Petty. The worst. So there's no reason to think that Jordy Nelson can't go out and post 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback at age 32. There's just no reason to assume that he won't do that. So I was wrong. So now Jordy Nelson goes from just outside the top 10 to inside the top 10. I still believe the Packers will run the ball more and feed Martellus Bennett and Randall Cobb more this year than they did last year, which will suppress Jordy Nelson's numbers. That's why he's not a top five option for me. But I'm not going to let the recency bias of a single player underperforming expectations in Brandon Marshall in 2016 influence my projection for Jordy Nelson in 2017. I'm sorry, Jordy. Please accept my apology. And I know you're probably thinking, well, well, yards of separation? That sounds like an interesting statistic. Well, yes, it is. It's an advanced stat that we're adding to playerprofiler.com in 2017, so look out for that. We're adding numerous quarterback and wide receiver fields in 2017. The running back pages were significantly built out last year, but we are adding some running back fields as well. But the more significant changes are coming to the wide receiver, tight end, and quarterback pages on playerprofiler.com. Look out for that. That's why we're growing the game analyst team to accommodate this appetite for yet more advanced stats and metrics. We've come this far at playerprofiler.com. We have yet farther to go. And yards of separation at target is one of those metrics we will be delivering. You're welcome. And I want to talk today about evaluating players in a vacuum versus evaluating players for fantasy football. Because every time I send out a tweet about Derek Carr not being an elite option in fantasy football leagues, I receive a deluge of responses from diehard Raiders fans explaining to me in seven Eight, nine, ten consecutive reply tweets. Why I'm wrong about Derek Carr. <laughs> and I just have to slap my forehead and say, first of all, the generic sports fan is one of the most gullible individuals on the internet service. Has to be. Always taking the bait when I criticize Derek Carr on Twitter. Without fail. Like, don't you know yet that I'm doing this just to make you mad online? That I am getting pleasure trolling you from my account? Have not figured this out yet, you Neanderthal Raider fans? <laughs> Wake up and smell the troll! And if you haven't already, I want to make sure you're going to Reality Sports Online. Reality Sports Online is the most fun Dynasty League platform in existence. It combines both the sophistication... The Dynasty Leaguers crave contract functionality, blind bidding on free agents, and numerous other features that mimics the experience of being an NFL general manager without the complexity, without 50 billion settings for commissioners. So the players love it. The commissioners love it. Go to Reality Sports Online now, join an existing league, start a new league, or move over a league you manage today and use the promo code UNDERWORLD. 
So I'm looking at Marcus Mariota, and I'm looking at Marcus Mariota thinking, this is the quarterback that I would want if I were starting a franchise today. The best young quarterback in the NFL is not Derek Carr, it's Marcus Mariota. And it's not particularly close. When you look at Marcus Mariota, he checks every box in a way few quarterbacks have ever checked boxes. His QBR at Oregon, 90.9, 98th percentile. And the QBR is essentially ESPN's advanced efficiency metric, and it does give the quarterback credit for rushing yards, in particular, clutch rushing yards. So if a quarterback rushes for a first down on third and eight, ESPN's QBR algorithm will give him more credit when calculating total QBR than the same rush on first and 10. So QBR is absolutely an advanced efficiency metric, which is why we capture it on both, which is why we capture both the college QBR and the professional QBR. So Marcus Mariota was one of the most efficient college quarterbacks ever, broke out at 18.9. So he was a starter at age 18 at a Power 5 conference school. You rarely see that. And then his workout metrics from his 45240 to his 1098 agility score all above the 90th percentile, which is why he scored a 115.4 Spark X score. And beyond even that, the 33 Wonderlick and then 73rd percentile. This is an individual who checked every box and then in his second year in the NFL finished number one on playerprofiler.com's production premium metric. That's our proprietary efficiency metric. Looking at every given down and distance, Second and five from the 35. How does Marcus Mariota perform in those situations versus league average? Plus 25.9 was number one in the NFL in his second season. And fantasy gamers know it because fantasy gamers look at his fantasy points per drop back and they see 0.52, number five in the NFL. The problem is the Titans want to hand the ball off. They don't want to drop back. And that's why in fantasy football, Jameis Winston should be projected to score more points on our rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. We have Jameis Winston ranked a couple slots ahead of Marcus Mariota for this reason. These players are of similar age, but they're in different situations. One's in a fantasy friendly situation in Jameis Winston. Marcus Mariota is not. Marcus Mariota is going to post fantasy points because he's a better runner than Jameis Winston, and he's more efficient than Jameis Winston. But Jameis Winston is going to post more fantasy points per game because he's on a team that will throw the ball 600 times this year, a team that doesn't have an effective run game. The Titans do. That makes such a huge difference. Jameis Winston's college QBR was not what Marcus Mariota's was. You might say, oh, well, Jameis Winston wasn't in the Oregon system. Well, I don't believe in scheme fit and scheme-driven stats. There is no scheme without the players, and I believe that the scheme the Oregon Ducks were running was the Marcus Mariota scheme. The scheme was not responsible for Marcus Mariota, and it was revealed at the professional level. When he's leading the league in production premium as a sophomore, that's all you needed to know to debunk this idea that Marcus Mariota is a system quarterback because that was the criticism coming out of Oregon. And that criticism was baseless nonsense gibberish. That's what the film grinders do. They give you the baseless nonsense gibberish. Marcus Mariota is a system quarterback when he, when according to everything that we can actually measure, Marcus Mariota was in reality a phenomenal college quarterback. Anything but a system quarterback. 
Marcus Mariota, much better athlete, more efficient thrower than Jameis Winston. And at the professional level, Jameis Winston, plus 8.3 production premium, was just outside the top 10 last year, but was dwarfed by Marcus Mariota's production premium. And when you go across the board, whether it's passer rating, whether it's air yards per attempt, whatever you want to look at, Marcus Mariota, much more efficient than Jameis Winston last season. And both players suffered with below average supporting casts. Mariota had Delaney Walker and Rashard Matthews as his primary options in the passing game. Jameis Winston had Mike Evans and a bunch of nothing. So we have both of these players, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, ranked in the top 10 heading into 2017. But Jameis Winston is going to get the volume, so Jameis Winston needs to be ranked higher. The most important number when calculating projections is always opportunity. Quarterback attempts, running back touches, wide receiver and tight end targets. And when you look at Marcus Mariota's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com, it's Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott, like Marcus Mariota, was efficient in the face of reduced volume. Why was the volume reduced? Well, the volume was reduced because the Dallas Cowboys, like the Tennessee Titans, are a run-oriented offense, but the Dallas Cowboys last season finished last in pass attempts because not only were they a run-oriented offense, the Dallas Cowboys enjoyed the easiest schedule in the NFL. We talked to Warren Sharp about this. We didn't talk about every player. Mike Clay just released his strength of schedule for 2017 based on the talent profiles of the current NFL rosters heading into 2017, not the 2016 rosters. Based on Mike Clay's roster projections, players on the respective teams across the NFL in 2017, according to Mike Clay, the most difficult schedule this year belongs to the Dallas Cowboys. The easiest schedule, Cincinnati Bengals. Make a note of that, Andy Dalton owners, A.J. Green enthusiasts, and in particular, Joe Mixon advocates! Yes! Yeah! Who had the easiest schedule last year in 2016? You guessed it, the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are going from the number one easiest schedule in 2016 to, according to Mike Clay, the number 32 most difficult schedule in the league. Who does that benefit the most? The members of the Dallas Cowboys passing game. That's Dak Prescott. That's Des Bryant. That's even Terrence Williams. That's Jason Witten. And last but certainly not least, the player this benefits the most is Cole Beasley because if the Dallas Cowboys are losing in more games, if the game script trends negative even, that means more three receiver sets. That means a lot more Cole Beasley who was top 10 in the NFL last season in hog rate. Targets per snap, Cole Beasley, top 10 NFL wide receiver. When Cole Beasley is on the field, he commands targets. He is a target magnet. This is why we have Cole Beasley and Dak Prescott and Jason Witten ranked higher than consensus on the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings. And we actually have a column on the dynasty rankings called ADP Delta. This measures the differential between where we at Roto Underworld rank players and where they're being drafted on my fantasy league. So you can see the players for which we're more bullish on than consensus, as well as more bearish on than consensus. So we're more bearish on Andrew Luck and more bullish on Marcus Mariota. 
and Dak Prescott. We have Dak Prescott, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, and Kirk Cousins all inside our top 12. We project them to be QB1s in fantasy. Many fantasy analysts do not. So this year, we could see Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston and Dak Prescott all fully unlocked and reach that 20 fantasy points per game threshold. Now at the wide receiver position, look at the dichotomy on the Carolina Panthers. Devin Funches versus Kelvin Benjamin. You read the news on Roto World, you see Devin Funches is projected to be the starting number two option for the Carolina Panthers. So in two receiver sets, it will be two six four wide receivers on the outside. Kelvin Benjamin on one side, Devin Funchess on the other. Good luck, NFL cornerbacks. Because last year, in two receiver sets, it was Ted Ginn, not Devin Funchess. So Devin Funchess's snap share is going to spike this year. In his third year, Devin Funchess's snap share will spike going into his third year at the wide receiver position, tethered to Cam Newton, who is sure to experience a bounce-back year, a more efficient 2017 season. So Devin Funchess is looking at more snaps, better quarterback play, going into his third year at age 23, still three years away from the wide receiver age apex we talked about earlier. Devin Funches is just getting started. He and Amari Cooper were the two youngest wide receivers in the 2015 draft class. They had just turned 21 when they entered the draft. So I was not expecting Devin Funches to usurp Kelvin Benjamin as the number one option in that passing game, and I'm still not. I think we will witness a Devin Funchess ascendance this year because he posted a 41.4% 82nd percentile college dominator, has a 107.9 87th percentile height adjusted speed score, an incredible burst 126.5 78th percentile. So Devin Funchess looks like Brandon Marshall and he has a 1018 catch radius. His catch radius is much wider than Kelvin Benjamin's because Kelvin Benjamin does not have a great burst score. Devin Funchess does. Devin Funchess can get vertical in a way that Kelvin Benjamin simply cannot. But that doesn't mean Cam Newton views Devin Funchess as the number one wide receiver or the coaches view Devin Funchess as the number one wide receiver. Heading in to 2017, we have Kelvin Benjamin ranked higher on our seasonal rankings than we have Devin Funchess. Because fantasy football is not about comparing players in a vacuum. If I were starting a franchise today, I would absolutely start with Devin Funchess long before Kelvin Benjamin. So yes, if we were drafting a team, I would be targeting Devin Funchess, not Kelvin Benjamin. And none of that matters in fantasy football. In fantasy football, Kelvin Benjamin, who's projected to score 10 touchdowns this year, because who else is going to score the touchdowns? Offensive efficiency will be going up. And even though Kelvin Benjamin's not an efficient receiver himself, we saw what happened in his rookie year when he was a top 20 option at the wide receiver position. The inefficient number one option goes along for the ride as the offense slices through the defense and enters the red zone. There's Kelvin Benjamin securing yet another touchdown pass. That's just the reality. I'm not happy about this. I don't like to watch inefficient wide receivers succeed, but I've come to terms with Devontae Adams in the top 20. It's one of the reasons why we can't have Jordy Nelson hire the presence of Devontae Adams, which is heartbreaking to me because Devontae Adams is not an efficient player. He improved last year, still top 10 in the league in drops, and I believe he always will be. 
an inefficient wide receiver. But in the context of a fantasy football conversation, it doesn't matter. We're not going to rank Kelvin Benjamin outside the top 40 just because we hate his efficiency. We have to run the numbers and conduct a clinical, rational forecast of that Carolina Panthers offense, and it's going to feature Kelvin Benjamin. We knew this before he reported to training camp in the best shape of his life. No more Kelvin Benjamin fat jokes. He looks as good as he's ever looked in a Carolina Panthers uniform, according to beat reporters. But as I said, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a personal trainer, and I'm not a nutritionist. I don't care how fat players look in their uniforms. I only have the data in front of me. And the data tells me that Kelvin Benjamin is going to lead this team in target share. But I think that both he and Devin Funches can be fantasy viable on a team that lost Ted Ginn. There's vacated targets there, and we've seen it in training camp already, in steps Devin Funches to fill that void. So we have Devin Funches and Kelvin Benjamin a lot closer than consensus on our rankings. You scroll down and see Devin Funches on our rankings. He's 17 slots higher on our rankings than he's being drafted on MyFantasyLeague.com. And with Kelvin Benjamin, we're right there with consensus. Because there are a lot of efficiency snobs out there that want nothing to do with Kelvin Benjamin, then that's fine. But at some point in a draft, every player, even Kelvin Benjamin, even Tyreek Hill, they become value. And in the expert mocks that I've been participating in, there's Kelvin Benjamin continuing to sway in the wind. Rounds going by. No one drafting Kelvin Benjamin. Eventually, someone has to step into the breach and say, no, at this point, I'm taking him for his touchdown upside only. Just think about it. It's a very easy thought experiment. What if Kelvin Benjamin scores 10 touchdowns, as is likely in his number one role? A number one role that also features a 22.1% red zone target share, which was top 30 in the NFL. He's their primary option in the red zone, and you can expect 10 touchdowns from Kelvin Benjamin, assuming Cam Newton's play improves just nominally. All we need is a nominal improvement from Cam Newton. Boom! Kelvin Benjamin, straight to 10 touchdowns. And I'm stacking Devin Funchess and Kelvin Benjamin. There are two wide receiver stacks I'm interested in this year because of the great value they provide. Number one is J.J. Nelson and John Brown. These are similar players playing similar roles. They are each the handcuff of the other, regardless of who starts. And they play in prolific offenses for quarterbacks who will positively regress this year. Devin Funches, Kelvin Benjamin, same story. They are doppelgangers of one another. They are each other's handcuff. Devin Funches goes down, more targets for Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin goes down, a lot more targets for Devin Funches. And all of these players I've listed are available in the fifth round or beyond. Playing for teams that will enjoy more drives, more pass plays, more red zone visits. Because Carson Palmer and Cam Newton will revert back to their annual production averages this season. Now at the tight end position, you see the widest dichotomy between the talented player whose situation will betray him this season and the player lacking talent who's in a fantasy point rich situation. And that's David Njoku versus Jack Doyle. I think David Njoku is already one of the top five talents at the position in the NFL. If I were starting a franchise today, David Njoku would be one of the first tight ends I consider. Because what David Njoku did at Miami was superhuman. No one averages double-digit yards after the catch per reception. Nobody. Nobody does that. Ever. Not even Travis Kelsey. 
except David Njoku did it. David Njoku achieved the most important accomplishment. He demonstrated an ability to translate exceptional athleticism into exceptional on-field production and efficiency. If you can do that, I will love you. That is the key to Matt Kelly's heart. If you want to sway the podfather, translate exceptional athleticism into exceptional on-field production and efficiency. That's how David Njoku won my heart. But on our seasonal rankings, we don't have David Njoku. By the way, I love saying that. David Njoku. David Njoku. You could say that name all day. David Njoku. David Njoku. David Njoku. David Njoku. David Njoku. Oh, David. We don't have David Njoku inside the top 20. But we have Jack Doyle at 15. And many of you might say, oh, that's too low for Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle's a tight end one in fantasy. He's Andrew Luck's go-to option in the red zone. And we talked to Jake Sealy earlier this week and established that's not true. Andrew Luck's go-to option in the red zone is Dante Moncrief. That's not changing. It's not Jack Doyle. And I feel compelled to correct individuals who call Jack Doyle a tight end. He's not actually a tight end. He's more of an H-back. He rarely lines up at the tight end position. He might this year. Didn't last year. He looks like an H-back. He runs a 4-9-5. He's a slow H-back. And the Colts do not have a number three wide receiver of consequence. What does that mean? That means they will be running significant two receiver sets. That means on the goal line, when Andrew Luck drops back, goes play action, rolls out, finds his tight end open in the back of the end zone, throws the pass, converts the touchdown to Eric Swoop. That is going to happen. I mean, you could book that. There will be numerous weeks this season where fantasy gamers, oh, poor fantasy gamers got their touchdown vultured. That should have been Jack Doyle's touchdown because I had Jack Doyle on my fantasy team. I don't have Eric Swoop on my fantasy team. I know the podfather does, but I don't. It should be Jack Doyle. I want it to be Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle. No, I want it to go to Eric Swoop because Eric Swoop's a better player. Eric Swoop's also a traditional tight end because he's 6'5", 257. He came into the league at 225 pounds. He's added 30 pounds of muscle, some fat, I'm sure, but a lot of muscle, maybe a lot of water weight. I don't know why, how he gained the weight, but he did. So I believe that as of this season, after two years learning the position, a better understanding of the nuances, playing tight end, in particular blocking techniques, now that Eric Swoop has fully developed at age 25, the age when many tight ends ascend, he will leverage that basketball player background that Jimmy Graham leveraged, Julius Thomas leveraged, Antonio Gates leveraged to become the 1B favorite red zone option for Andrew Locke after Dante Moncrief. And it is going to drive the Jack Doyle enthusiast crazy. And I can't wait. So we talked about this misperception of fantasy analysis, confusing a fantasy forecast for a talent assessment. But there's also a misperception of ceilings and floors. Look at the Duke Johnson theoretic dichotomy. You have Duke Johnson, one of the best running backs in the NFL. If I were starting a franchise today, Duke Johnson would be one of my top 10 preferred running backs. Why? Because Duke Johnson is exceptional in all phases. He demonstrated this at the University of Miami, where he posted a well-above-average college dominator rating and became Miami's all-time leading rusher. It's not Willis McGahee. It's not Frank Gore. It's Duke Johnson. 
Why? Because Duke Johnson's great outside the tackles. He's great running inside the tackles, and he's an exceptional receiver. He's such a good receiver that the Cleveland Browns will be playing Duke Johnson in the slot a lot more this year, replacing Andrew Hawkins. And this just makes sense because when you go to playerprofiler.com's data analysis tool, Check it out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis. You can search running backs by advanced metrics from yards per touch to catch rate to juke rate to breakaway run rate to yards after contact per touch. The data analysis tool provided the signal telling me you need to go out and acquire as much Ty Montgomery as possible. And it's emitting the same signal regarding Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson posted a catch rate above 70% last season. And when he has the ball in his hands, he's incredibly elusive. 35.4% juke rate, number two in the NFL. 6.9 yards per touch, number three in the NFL. The yards per touch fueled by Duke Johnson's pure electricness in space. Electricness isn't even a fucking word, but that's what Duke Johnson is. And yes, I said fuck. Even though we had an iTunes review come in today from Mr. Mr., Don't listen around family and kids, one star. And he gave me some advice in the review. Clean up the language and gain more followers. How about you eat a dick, Mr. Mister? The podcast has a parental advisory badge. It's one of the only fantasy football podcasts with a parental advisory badge. Why do you think that is? Because I say fuck a lot. Deal with it or don't. Go somewhere else. There are plenty of other generic, watered-down podcasts available on iTunes. You can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Lots of options for you. We are literally the only one that I know of with a parental advisory. So now I have a one-star review on iTunes because you don't know how to read. Mr. Mister, Mr. Mister's wife, and Mr. Mister's kids can go to hell. Fuck! Back to Duke Johnson. Whenever I want to cheer myself up, I think about Duke Johnson. I think about Duke Johnson's efficiency. Yards after contact per touch, top five in the league. I mean, everything. Breakaway run rate, you name it. On a rate basis, Duke Johnson was one of the best running backs in the league. He's just not used on early downs. Because they also have Isaiah Crowell, who, in his own right, is a fantastic between-the-tackles grinder. I'll admit this. I was wrong about Isaiah Crowell two years ago. I thought this was Duke Johnson's job for the taking. No. Isaiah Crowell was too good between the tackles. That Duke Johnson could not supplant him and become the bell cow back. But here's where the analysis of ceilings and floors matter in fantasy football. Duke Johnson is not merely a satellite back. He's a satellite back plus. That's what makes him different than Theo Riddick. Now this year, Duke Johnson and Theo Riddick will likely produce similar fantasy points as satellite backs because Duke Johnson will get significantly more usage on passing downs as the slot receiver. Just like I believe Theo Riddick will be the slot receiver in Detroit. They will play very similar roles and I believe have similar output in fantasy football leagues. Both Duke Johnson and Theo Riddick are exceptional receivers. Route runners, great hands, great yards after the catch ability, everything. But Theo Riddick has a lower ceiling because if Amir Abdullah gets hurt or suspended, it won't be Theo Riddick's job. Theo Riddick does not profile as a primary running back. He's 200 pounds. He's slight. And he played wide receiver in college, so he doesn't have a history of dominant production. No one would argue 
that Theo Riddick is capable of handling a 70% opportunity share. Theo Riddick does not have a bell cow profile. He's simply not built to absorb significant touches in the run game. That's it. Duke Johnson is. That's the difference. That's why Duke Johnson's ceiling is higher. But Theo Riddick's floor is higher because Theo Riddick has a role we've seen. We've seen Theo Riddick be the focal point of a passing game in Detroit last season. We're speculating that Duke Johnson could be a focal point in the passing game this season, but we haven't seen it yet. That's why Theo Riddick's floor is higher, because we're betting on something we've seen as opposed to something that we're speculating could, should exist. And the best satellite back of all is Danny Woodhead. I don't think anyone could argue that Danny Woodhead is the best satellite back in the NFL today. The argument is, is Danny Woodhead the best satellite back of all time? That's the argument, actually. Because Danny Woodhead has multiple top 10 fantasy seasons on his resume. In 2015, Danny Woodhead commanded 100 carries. 100 carries. And after this Kenneth Dixon news is released, Kenneth Dixon not going to play this year. Obviously, that's a big deal for Terrence West. Now Terrence West doesn't have to outplay Kenneth Dixon for the early down grinder role in Baltimore. It will be his by default with very little competition. So you're going to see Terrence West's ranking across fantasy football platforms skyrocket in the weeks ahead. We know this is coming. This is self-evident. Before the Kenneth Dixon injury announcement, though, we had Terrence West ranked ahead of Kenneth Dixon. We now have Terrence West ranked inside the top 36. He's very much a flex play in fantasy football. We have him ranked 12 slots ahead of where he's been going on my fantasy league. My guess is that fantasy league drafters will catch up to this, and eventually we will be in line with consensus on Terrence West, but we will always be ahead of consensus on Danny Woodhead because there's a lack of appreciation for Danny Woodhead's role between the tackles and on outside zone runs. Because I was reading analysis from some of the top minds in the fantasy football projections business, talking about how the Kenneth Dixon injury impacts their rankings for Baltimore Ravens players. And unanimously, the opinion was, this doesn't impact Danny Woodhead much at all, only a nominal projection bump for Danny Woodhead, but it's huge for Terrence West. And I agree, it's huge for Terrence West. But I disagree that it's not also huge for Danny Woodhead. We had Danny Woodhead jump Carlos Hyde and Isaiah Crowell and Tevin Coleman in the rankings because this is also a big deal for him. These fantasy analysts just forget how valuable Danny Woodhead is in the run game, not just the pass game. Only a nominal difference for Danny Woodhead. This Kenneth Dixon injury affects him very little. What? Kenneth Dixon was the only other running back on the team with above-average pass-catching skills. You could argue that Kenneth Dixon was the best all-around back, efficient outside the tackles, inside the tackles, and in the passing game. Kenneth Dixon represented significant competition for touches in both the run game and the pass game to Danny Woodhead and Terrence West. Not just Terrence West! So you should not be surprised when Danny Woodhead finishes the season as an RB1 again.
going to start a little post-show fun for the patrons. If you are a supporter of the show, we will give away one item every week. To qualify, go to patreon.com, search Podfather, and join the community. This week and for the next several weeks, we will be giving away a copy of the Dynasty Dominator book. It's only $10 on the website, $14 on Amazon for a soft cover. I get it. This isn't a spectacular gift, but it's something. And I'm going to figure out some interesting giveaways throughout the season. But for now, we have this book. And this week's winner is... Matt Leventhal. From Stamford, Connecticut. Connecticut's own Matt Leventhal. Woohoo! Enjoy it, Matt.